Hey guys, thanks for checking out today's message. We're so glad that you joined us. We consider resources like this one to be supplemental. So if you do not have a church home and live in the greater Savannah area, we would love to invite you to one of our locations. If you're blessed by today's message and would like to invest into the life and ministry of City Church, you can do so by visiting citychurch.life and clicking give. Our hope is that you'll be blessed and encouraged as we dive into today's message. We're going to begin uh, with some scripture. We're going to go to Romans chapter 6 uh, here in verse 22. It says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is uh, a, a really great baseline scripture for us when we talk about ultimate consequences, okay? Uh, and the idea here is that the decisions and the choices you make have consequences, and those consequences can be positive, and those consequences can be negative. And, and so uh, Paul, writing here to the church in Rome, he just sums this up in a really great way. He says that the wages of sin, right, the, the payout, the consequence for living in sin is death, all right? But the free gift of God, and this is what's beautiful, is that it's not built around getting life. It's not Life in Christ is not built around the amount of work that you do, right? It is built around a decision to choose him. And so you have to work for death or you get to say, I choose God and you get life. So there's a lot of effort that goes into failing and there is very little effort that goes into finding tremendous success. And so the, the reality is life has consequences. And so this, this idea becomes applicable not just to me as a parent investing in my children to see them grow up, but in my own life. I cannot teach my children about consequences if I am not myself aware of consequences and I cannot teach them, I cannot model for them how to walk through consequences if I am not taking it seriously. And so I want to talk a little bit about consequences. Now, I, I think that uh, in order to really get a picture of this, I want to make sure that we understand or we define our terms. Uh, consequence is a result or effect of an action or condition. And, and the reason that this word breaks down this way is because there are three uh, primary types of consequences that you will experience in your life. The first is the consequence of another's decision. Jesus does a really great job at illustrating this for us in three parables that he lays out back to back to back. The first one uh, in there in this idea of there being the consequence of another's decision is that parable of the lost coin, right? The coin had zero say in where it landed, the coin ended up lost because of somebody else's actions. And so sometimes we have to walk through the consequences of another person's decision making. And this right here, honestly, is one that all of us have walked through. If we think about it, it is really a condition of being a child. As we are very little and learning how to uh, adapt to life and to make decisions, we are constantly bound to the consequences of those who have authority over us. 
And if we can remember that we have walked through a season of life like this and may walk through many seasons like this, it will empower us to be very careful about the way that we make decisions because our children sometimes have to walk through the consequences of our decisions. And those consequences are not because of the decisions that they've made. A second type of consequence that we find is the consequence of environment or condition. Uh, Jesus does a great job at illustrating this when he talks about the parable of the lost sheep, right? So the sheep uh, ended up because of environment and the ability to wander and not understanding the consequences or the dangers of wandering ended up lost, right? And so sometimes our environment, sometimes the conditions around us put us in a position where we end up facing consequences that we might not have wanted to have to face. This happens to all of us. We end up in a place where uh, by no, no choice of our own, maybe we're unemployed. Maybe it's not because of any action that we've done, but just the condition of the economy. Maybe uh, we end up in that position of, of wrecking our vehicle and not because of driving uh, erratic or unsafe, but simply the fact that there are oils on the road and a flash flood hits and now our car is sliding across a median, right? We sometimes get caught having to face and reckon with the consequences that come from environment or condition. And then the third type of consequence is the consequence of a decision. And Jesus illustrates this really well for us when we look at the parable of the prodigal son. The decision of, that one young man makes ends up bringing a series of consequences on him. And so I want to, I want to take a moment and just focus on the consequence of a decision. Uh, the consequence of a decision is really the one area of consequences that each of us can have a little bit of control over, that we can have a little bit of say over what those consequences look like. And as a parent, I want my children to understand that, all right? Uh, uh, anybody ever been in a fender bender before? Anybody been in a full-on wreck before, right? So, so it happens. And uh, when it happens, somebody has to take responsibility for it. And if somebody doesn't take responsibility for it and they flee, everybody gets angry. One day I was mowing my grass. I'm in the backyard mowing. And I hear a crash outside. And I thought that was really loud. It sounded like a wreck. And so I ran over. I have a brick fence and I kind of scaled my big old body up there to look and I'm looking over and sure enough somebody has lost control and hit uh, a car that has caused that car to move six feet into my car and I'm sitting there and I'm looking at the situation and I'm looking at the car and because of the sun I can't see in the car and I just get this feeling that they're looking at me I'm looking at them and they begin gunning it, trying to get away, and I all of a sudden had like Hercules strength, and I leapt over the fence and take off running. Unfortunately, I got the strength of Hercules to make it over the fence, but not a flash to catch up. And so I'm running, and that, that car like is just falling to pieces, like pieces of it are falling off as it's driving away. And uh, because of their decision to flee, I end up in this position of 
having to face the consequences of another person's decision, right? Right? But when we have integrity, then when we find ourselves in one of those positions, what we do is we stop, we step outside, and we say, I did this, and I need to make this right. And, and, and while that is something that we see as being uh, high integrity, uh, something of, of, of valor or value in our society, it really is about facing consequences that we might not be happy with. So sometimes we have to learn how to navigate uh, the consequences of the decisions that we have made. And those consequences, they will rear their head. So, consequence of a decision. The uh, question is how to avoid negative consequences. And I would say that in order to avoid negative consequences when it comes to decision making, we have to learn how to make better decisions. So, four choices that affect every aspect of life. So as I was praying and preparing for this message, I said, God, what, would you, what, what are the, the, the basic areas that we make decisions in that, would, uh, that if we got really focused would help us to make better decisions? Like what are, what are choices we can regularly make that would help us to make better decisions, especially in those little critical moments when our character and our integrity are shining through? What are, what are the ones that, that we can do? And, and this is really where I felt like God led me. And so the first one, is choose to live choose to live and you go well, well that's really simple I just I just have to breathe right well I want to talk about life as God intended it if you look in Deuteronomy chapter 30 we're going to look at verse 19 it says I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death blessing and curse therefore choose life that you and your offspring may live. Can I tell you that when you choose life and you choose a manner of living that is filled with life and you're living the way that God instructs, not only do you reap the benefits of that, not only are you walking in the consequences of that choice, but your children, your offspring, they get to reap the benefit of that. And so by choosing life, by choosing to live in a way that honors God, I not only gain from that, I position my children into a place where they are reaping the consequences of another's decisions, and those consequences are ones that enrich their lives. We have a world filled with Children who have had to face the consequences of another's decision and that other's decision was to take advantage of them, to do things that manipulated them. And so too many, maybe even some in the room today, have grown up having to figure out how to move from a natural course of death to finding life. Figuring out how to move past the hurt and the burden and the scars that were left by somebody else and to come to a place where they say, today I choose life and I won't dwell in the death that was chosen for me. Look here in the next verse. It says, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding uh, fast to him, for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. It says here, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. So how do you choose life 
in the way that you are living? How do you make that a choice? How do you make a decision to choose life? You obey his voice and you hold fast to him. Well, where do we hear his voice? Well, there's a couple of places that we hear his voice, right? One of those is through a personal relationship. We can hear directly from the creator of all things. He can speak into our lives. But a simpler and more practical way is through what he has said and has been written for us in the word of God. And this is what it says. You have two choices. Choose life or choose death. How do you choose life? You obey the voice of God. And so when it comes to, to, to making a, a lifestyle of choices that ultimately lead to, pos, to positive uh, consequences, then what we have to do is we have to be people who take the word of God seriously. And we have to say, well, if God gives this instruction, I'm not exempt from it. And if I want to choose life and I want to walk in some type of consequences that are positive, then I need to be obedient. I need to be listening to what God says. This morning I woke up and I'm getting ready and Ezra is in the room and uh, Ezra's getting dressed. And I told Ezra, I said, buddy, you don't have any green on. And I said, they're going to be pinching you like crazy today at church. And he was like, what does that mean? And I was like, it's St. Patrick's Day. And he was like, Dad, you're actually wrong. It's not St. Patrick's Day. Yesterday was St. Patrick's Day. And I was like, okay. I was like, I just popped my head back into the bathroom, started, you know, finishing getting ready. I looked back out, and I was like, hey, Ezra, am I usually wrong? And he was like, no. And I was like, you might want to go get something green on, right? So he takes off running to go get something green. I, I don't know what it is, but it is difficult for us just in general to listen to what other people are saying, to listen to the voice of somebody else. We struggle with this. We struggle with, uh, with reconciling the word of God to our own lives and then having to come to a place where we go, you know what, I'm not getting some of this stuff right. I need to change course. Instead, our natural inclination is to go, yeah, but I'm, I'm different. Like, I've got this thing worked out. Like, I, I don't know what your excuse is. I'm just saying, like, it's some type of justification. If you're, if you're knowingly doing something that's contrary to the word of God, your justification system, however that little, you know, fictional story-making thing works inside of you, right, whatever that is, it's not serving you well. Because according to Scripture, it's positioning you to choose death instead of choosing life. And we should be people who are choosing life. I've shared this before, but I told Isaac when he was very young that one day, uh, in the same vein of listening, in the same vein of believing what Dad says, I said, one day... I'm going to say something to you, and literally what's going to come into your mind is, oh my gosh, I am smarter than my dad. My dad has no clue. He's clueless. And, and, he's, and he would tell me as a kid, he would be like, that will never happen, daddy. That will never happen. Same, same kid who said, mom, I'm never moving out. Mom, I am going to live here and love you always, right? And, and now we're having conversations about what the next two years look like. And I don't want to hurt y'all's feelings, but, you know, I think I could live in another place at some point, right? And, and, and then one day I'm standing in the hallway and I'm telling him something and I'm looking him in the eyes. I, I don't know if you've ever had this moment with your parents or with your kids, but we're looking in the eyes. And I'm telling him something, 
and I just saw it happening. And I literally said, I'm not even making this up. Like, I just said to him, it just happened, didn't it? And he backed up and he goes, what? And I go, that thing I told you was going to happen one day. Like, it's happening. Like, right here. And he goes, what thing? And I said, that thing where you realize you're smarter than me. And he freaks out in the hallway. How did you know that? I told you it was going to happen, and by the divine relationship I have with Jesus, he tells me everything, young man. (laughs) Maybe I just got lucky, but I'm telling you, I knew what was happening, right? And why? Because I, I walked through that. I walked through that. I walked through that relationship with my own dad where I thought, my dad is clueless. My dad doesn't know what he's talking about. Like, my dad was a teenager when Noah was on the ark, right? He's old. He doesn't get it. And and then there was just a day I was riding down the road, and I was like, oh, my gosh. My dad wasn't right about most things. My dad was right about practically everything. And and maybe that doesn't happen with you. Maybe your parents were not good decision makers, and they weren't really trying. My mom and dad, they were really putting forth effort. And so I, I just had this epiphany. I'm calling my mom. I'm calling my dad. I'm like, you guys were right about so much. And I was so adamant. Like, I think a part of me wanted to live my life to prove them wrong. I needed them one day to come to me and go, Jim, you were right about everything. How have we lived life to this point and found any measure of success? But that was not what happened. It was the other way around. And so I'm thankful that I was able to walk through that and see that my mom and dad were right so that I could have some patience with my children because my children, they, children can drive you crazy at some point, you know. But, but we love them, but they can drive you crazy because you think they're not listening. And, and the word here says that we need to learn how to obey his voice. Can I tell you something? If you... If you Call yourself a believer and you're a Jesus follower and you exempt yourself from this. Do not be surprised if your children exempt themselves from it. Do not be surprised that if you don't take the word of God and the voice of God seriously to find out one day that your children don't either. This type of living becomes a filter. And so things pop up in our lives, and it's like, hey, here's an opportunity, and I've got a decision to make. I can literally take just this one choice-making tool and say, will this bring life or will it bring death? And if it won't bring life, and it's not very clear that it's going to bring life, I should be very cautious about what I'm doing. The second one is choose to give. I want to empower my children to be givers, and I want to model what it looks like to be a giver. I've had some real epiphanies in the last 18 months to two years about the idea of being a giver, all right? When we started the church, Carmen and I, we were constantly asking people, you know, uh, who would tell us that they don't do church anymore, what are your reasons? And one of the top reasons, maybe the number one reason that we constantly got is they're always talking about money. They're always talking about money. They always want you to give. They always want you to give. And, 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 And so that created this, like, 
this fear inside of me that if we talk about money a lot, then people will be upset and they won't go to church. And, and then if they don't go to church, they might not have a relationship with Jesus. And I just don't want to be a part of that. And so we, we started the church and we tried to create this atmosphere that's like, hey, listen, we, we're, we don't want to talk about money too much. It does matter. We do believe it's for the, for the uh, believer to give, but we're not going to create a lot of pressure. And, and the epiphanies that I've had are that, are, are that people who get mad about giving are people who, or who get mad about the conversation around giving are people who really have love issues in their lives. John, uh, uh, you, well, let me say this. You give to what you love. You will give to what you love, period. You will never give to something that you don't love. You always give to the things that you love. Love will always have some connecting point in what you give to. John chapter 3, verse 16, most famous verse among Americans in Scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Do you understand that because he loved so much, he took the measure of that love and he said, how can I take, what can I do to show my love? He gave the most precious thing he had. He came here in the flesh to do what we could not do. He came to do what you and I could not do. And instead of having a giving mentality when it comes to decision making, we typically have a get mentality. And the church has developed a process of, in order to play off of that brokenness, the church has created language, an ideology that says, if you give, you'll get. If you give, you'll get. If you give, you'll get. And so what happens is because we want to get, and the reason we want to get is because we love ourselves a lot. Because all getting is, is giving to yourself. We want to get. We want to make sure we're getting. And, and because of that, that is why too many people measure what they give against. Well, if I give this, I know God's going to be faithful to give it back to me. And there's a, there's a couple of scriptures I can go to. Do you know what? You know why those scriptures are there? It's because he loves you. He wants to give to you. He's trying to invest in you and teach you how to walk in love so that you are a giver. And this giving isn't just a church thing. It's not just about like giving a tithe and an offering. It's about living a lifestyle of being ready to do something for somebody else. And our children desperately need to be givers and they desperately need to see people who are givers. And so if the choice is presented to me on whether or not I am a giver or a getter, I want to be a giver. And I want to model that every moment that I can. And notice I say can. Because there is a point at which you can be foolish with what you have. Can I tell you that if you have to pull out your credit card to give to a evangelist or even here at the church and you aren't structured in your finances, you are not making a good decision. Jacob prayed this prayer. He said, God, I want to be a giver. He said, so if you will give me food to eat, clothes to wear, and a roof over my head, I will be faithful to give above and beyond. 
If you cannot manage your finances at home, before you start giving anything away, you need to ask God to teach you how to manage what you have. That's actually the first time in scripture that we see anybody even talk about giving. I don't know if you're aware of that. That's a whole other lesson. The very first time that we see anybody talking about making the decision, I'll be a giver this way, was Jacob saying, God, give me food to eat, clothes to wear, a roof over my head. Help me to be able to meet the needs that I have in front of me, and I will be faithful to give 10% of everything you provide back. As a bare minimum, I will start right there before God said, Hey, in the Old Testament, there was the teaching of giving a tithe, a 10%. We saw that within the law before that was ever established. Jacob, out of his own heart, said, make sure that my needs are met. I'll give 10%. Do you know where that comes from? That comes from somebody who loves God and wants to give and isn't trying to give because of what they get. They want to give because they love God. This is the same type of giving that God had right here. It's that he loves us so much, he was willing to give. And just as a little side note, the measure of how we as a ministry are able to be givers is a direct reflection of how you as the people who call City Church home are givers. Because we don't have a tree in the back that we can go and pull resources off and hand them out. We work off of the love and the gifts of the people who call City Church home. We want to be known as givers, not as getters. We want to be known for our generosity because we want people to know that we love God and in turn love them. And we want to be people who are helping to make a difference. The third one is choose to wait. Choose to wait. So many times we hear a phrase like that and we think, well, that's just talking about, you know, sex and choosing to wait to have sex until you're married. Can I tell you that if you are wrestling with the idea of choosing to wait for sex, it's really, there's a root problem and that's that you don't know how to wait for anything. Like if you can't learn how to wait in life in general, that's definitely going to be an issue for you. Like if you can't wait then you're not going to be well-equipped to wait for intimacy. And, And there's no doubt we live in a society that is constantly trying to figure out how to give us what we want the moment that we want it. The moment that we want it. And the world is trying to present itself in a way that says you can have what you want when you want and there shouldn't be any boundaries. There shouldn't be any, any, any load time. It's really funny when, when you watch uh, uh, somebody, uh, especially younger people, who are online and, you know, it's taking 20 seconds for something to boot up and they're like losing their mind. And I, I tell my kids all the time, like the other day I, I was like, I, I went to a YouTube and found the sound a uh, uh, 56K modem makes. And I was like, I was like, can I tell you, like, when I, when, when I was a kid, and I'm not that old, but when I was a kid, and we went to go get on the internet when it was first coming out, so just, you know, 25 years ago, and it was, the, it was at its infancy, infancy for us, I pulled out my phone, I said, this is the sound that we used to hear, and Ezra and Caitlin are all like, what is that? And I'm like, that is the computer talking to the World Wide Web, to the server somewhere out there. And you couldn't even get online until you had heard that going for a a minute. And then if you wanted to download a picture, like you could watch a movie. Like 
hit download and go start Lord of the Rings and that image would be done and you'd be solid, right? You would have had that one picture for your report and you walked in with it printed and you were good to go. And, 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 and we have worked diligently and moved technology forward to where that is not the case anymore. Things happen a lot quicker. Can I tell you that it's okay for things to be quick. It's okay for things to be available for us. But that does not negate the need that we have to learn how to wait. Because if we cannot actively choose how to wait, we're going to find ourselves in a lot of trouble. Luke chapter 15, verse 12. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Why did this young man come to his father, the prodigal son, and say, Dad, I want my portion of the inheritance. I want this right now. What led to the desire to see this? It was nothing more than impatience. Nothing more than not knowing how to wait. And so we can sit here and go, well, this is a real problem for today's generation. But the truth is, this has been a real problem for every generation. We want what we want when we want it. And, and I can tell you today that if you live making decisions based on what you can get right now, you're going to find yourself making decisions that bring some pretty negative consequences. You see, when you aren't ready, it won't last. Too many people, too many people make too many decisions out of impatience. Too many people get married because they're impatient. And what they discover is they don't really know that person. And while people around them were saying, hey, this might not be a good idea, slow down, don't, don't move so fast, you've got your whole life in front of you. Impatience burns deep inside and they get married and what happens? Daddy has taken off and now mom is left with a baby. And that baby grows up to be a kid and if mom continues to be an impatient person, that child becomes a problem. And the love and the uh, hope that should be in place for that child are not to be found. Because mom keeps thinking, oh, the next one, that's what's going to fix it. And men aren't, men aren't exempt from this. Men just go out there and just keep making one mess after another because they won't slow down. And they leave a wake of disaster behind them. Learning how to sit and wait will preserve your decision making probably like nothing else. The last one I'll say that here, number four, is choose to listen. And I would say out of all of them, this is probably the most difficult one for us, whether we are children or whether we are adults. We struggle with listening to what others have to say. We figure it out inside. We don't want to be a part of the debate. And honestly, we find people who agree with us and we create echo chambers. We live our lives in such a way that we just figure out who's going to agree with everything the way that I see it. And this is dangerous. And probably out of all of these that I've talked about, there's not more scripture that addresses, it, addresses any of them than this one. 
the idea of listening. Philippians chapter 1, Paul in prison says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. This is what he says. He says that, that like right now I'm at this crossroads where if I were to die, I would get to go and be with Jesus, the one that I love, the, the one that I have poured my life out for, I've given everything over to, I can go and be with him. But the problem is that if I do that, I won't be here for others. He feels that, that him being here for others potentially is a need to add value into other people's lives. He says, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to part and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So who is the man that's saying this? Can, can I tell you, it's not the young man that's just finished with college who is gathered around watching a follower, follower of Christ be, be, be killed by a group of people throwing rocks at him. The approval of which he sat there saying, yeah, that's good. That approval in this man's life had fallen away. See... This was a man whom Jesus made blind so that he could see. This was a man whom Jesus had knocked down so that he could stand. Can I tell you something? That the process of being taken down so that you can be brought back up is not something that happens in 15 minutes or, or, or six months. Paul is now a, a wise older man in prison. He's been through some stuff. He has lived some portions of life. And so when he is speaking, he's not speaking out of this like, he's speaking from the experience that he has had, the roads that he has walked down. And I don't know what it is about young people then or now, but we genuinely, the younger we are, we just think we have it all figured out. It's interesting because when we look at our founding fathers in our nation, this was one of the things that they were super aware of. And so they started putting some limitations on how young people could be to serve in certain offices because they had lived enough life to understand that had they been in charge in their youth, they would have made a mess of things. And I don't know why we're so like resistant, but we are. Our culture is so resistant to the idea that somebody that has lived a little bit more life than you might have a perspective that's healthy for you. Instead, we turn to all of our peers for input. And it's never been easier than it is now with all of our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, to find people who are saying the things that we want to hear. And the majority of them are either one of two groups. They're either in our age bracket or they're trying really hard to be in our age bracket. Can I tell you something? There are, there are people, I'm going to say it like this, there are old people who refuse to be old. 
They think that they're forever going to be 25 years old. And can I tell you something? They are totally missing out. Sat around a table with a bunch of guys from college several years back and we were sitting there talking and they're talking about the, the good old days of college and, and then they start going, man, I wish we could go back. How awesome would it be? And, and they're all sitting there and I'm like, y'all are crazy. Like, I wouldn't go back for anything. One of the guys was like, that's super offensive. Like, that's like you're stepping on everything that was precious to me. And I was like, I've experienced some things in life that are a lot better than running around a college campus while people are drunk, smoking pot, and shooting Nerf guns. (laughs) I'm married and have kids. My life is better today than it was yesterday. And can I tell you, if life is any measure of what it might be like tomorrow, I'm okay with it coming. And if Jesus is my ultimate goal, right, then I'm okay with the road that gets me there. Why would I want to run backwards? It's important for us to learn how to listen to what others say. And the Bible teaches on this significantly, that we should be able to tune in to people who have lived some life. That it is okay to ask somebody who's been where you're about to go how they got through it. It's called a mentor. And it adds value to your life. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Scripture just goes ahead and throws a good label on that. Oh, you don't want to listen to people? You're a fool. Here's your sign. Remember that guy? (laughs) Proverbs 15, verse 22. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs 19, 20. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. I literally sat here with over 20 verses like this and just started deleting them because I was like, if you don't get it, you don't get it. If you don't understand that the word of God says that there are people who have been places and they can add value to your life and if you can't turn to them and go, hey, how would you, how would you, there's no amount of verses I can throw up here on the screen that's gonna make it finally click and go, you know what, (laughs) I need to maybe seek some advice on this. Can I, just, can I just tell you, you need to learn to seek advice. When you're walking into an area of life that you've never been, you need to find somebody who you trust, who loves Jesus, and you need to say, hey, can we grab coffee? I'd love to get, hear uh, uh, some of your ideas on how you navigated that. What was it like to walk through that? What would you say to me as I'm going into this scenario? And and, and I'll tell you that the kingdom of heaven here on earth is filled with wisdom. There are so many people, a lot who call City Church home, that have walked through some pretty rough patches in life. And if you slowed down and listened to some of their stories and you took their advice, you might find that you avoid some of those decisions. And so the cop-out of, I just don't know who I would go to, is lazy. There's plenty of people. So, 
decision-making. <clears throat> Three different types of consequences, right? We said that there are those where somebody else makes the decision and we have to bear the consequences. There is the type of consequence that's a result of environment, just things happening. Then there's the consequence from our decision-making. Whatever gets you to the place where you're facing consequences, what to do in your consequences becomes the question. What, what is it that you do? How do you navigate those consequences. And this is really simple. This is not rocket science. And, and I, I came up with, with three really simple things. And these are the things that we try to uh, point our children to. Uh, the first one is remember who you are. So anytime that our kids are in a position where they seem to be struggling, consequences are, are sitting on them, whatever, whatever, however they got to this place, we want to remind them who they are. Now, on a, on a really small level, I remind them that they're a Simpson. And we're working really hard to develop a legacy and a reputation for what that means in this city. So you remember the family that you are a part of. You might be right now facing some type of difficulty or working through, but remember the family that you're a part of. And then the next thing that is that is above being a Simpson, is that is that you are a child of God. You are loved by your creator. Wear that, bear that, know that, stand in the mirror when the enemy is telling you that you're worthless and you're standing there facing consequences for decisions or that were thrown on you. You can stand up, look yourself in the, in, in the face and you say, I am a child of God no matter how dark and bad it is right now, I am his and not somebody else's. The second one is correct your perspective. It's really easy to say, woe is me, look at where I'm at, but can I tell you something? That if God orders the steps of the righteous, then not woe is me, look where I'm at, woe is the place where I am because I'm a child of God and he sent me here. And the final one, begin to make better choices. We're going to see these consequences through. And there's going to be victory and a testimony. And lives will be transformed by what you have to say. And you're going to have wisdom that gets added into your heart. And then the next time, starting right now, you're going to make better choices. And you're going to work to make sure you don't get back into this place. There's a really great example of this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. So we're back here before, uh, same story with Paul. Paul's in prison. And what's, what's good here is that Paul is facing the consequences of his decisions. He decided to love Jesus. He decided to preach the gospel. He decided not to make excuses and to not be quiet and to be offensive. You see, he decided that he would walk into the synagogues, a place where people whom he loved needed Jesus, and that he would go into their very place of worship and say, let me tell you about Jesus. 
He decided that he would walk into the center of cities that had turned their lives over to pagan gods. And he would say, I see that you guys love different gods. And you've got a statue to an unknown God. Let me tell you about the unknown God. He's the God that is real, the God that exists. All these other gods have been made up by man because they desperately don't want to acknowledge that there is one true living God. Paul decided that he would be the enemy of the enemy. Too many times as Christians, we make the decision, I don't want to stir the pot. What will they say about me? You know, if I get up and, I, and, and they find out that not only do I go to church, but I actually love Jesus and I believe that if they don't know Jesus, their eternity is in danger. What will they say about me? What will they call me? It just creates so much hate and so much tension. And so what do we breed? We breed Christians who don't share the gospel. Can, can, I, can I say something else just really honest for a moment? I hope this is okay. Can I, can I tell you that there is a real danger in turning the consequences of your decisions into or giving credit for the consequences of your decisions over to the enemy? Oh, man, right now just Satan's attacking me. He's all up in my house. He's destroying my family. He's just coming after me. Can I ask you something? Why? Is he coming after you because you're a soul winner? Because you share the gospel and people come to know Jesus, so you're a threat to his kingdom? I bet he does. I bet you the word gets back to Satan, who's been terrorizing Billy Graham and has a little free time right now, to come after you. Or, or maybe it's because you live with such integrity and you're so righteous in all that you do and you seek the Lord and you're praying and enemies and strongholds are being destroyed so he's coming after you. But the truth is that too many times we just go, man, Satan's attacking. And the truth is the reason that the cop pulled you over isn't because of Satan. It's because you were speeding. And the IRS isn't coming after you because Satan's like whispering in their ear, yeah, you need to go get them. It's because you didn't pay your taxes. And so Paul is right here in prison. Why? It's not an attack of the enemy. It's a result of living in a broken world and making decisions that Jesus is king. You know, Jesus said this. He says, when they persecute you, because they will, if you're going to live it, when they persecute you, just remember they persecuted me first. The theology of like becoming a Christian gets you everything better and more awesome all the time is not a biblical theology. We get eternity, but we're going to walk through seasons of plenty and seasons of famine. And so from prison, Paul says this, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So instead of giving credit to the enemy, he says, I'm in prison and it has advanced the gospel. People are getting saved because I'm in jail. People are freaking out on the outside. Oh my gosh, he's in prison. What are we going to do? And from prison, he's sitting here writing going, let me tell you, the gospel it's being advanced, verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. 
How is he able to say this? How does he get to this place? Because he is somebody who sings praises in the midst of his consequences. When you, when you in your darkest hours can remember who you are, why you're here, what you're meant for, can I tell you, you can take that dark moment and turn it into a hallelujah chorus? This is what Paul says. Paul says this. The word comes in, Paul. We heard that you have been chained, that you are chained even now to the imperial Roman guard. Paul, very discreetly writing back, says, you are mistaken. I am not chained to these Romans. These Romans are chained to me. What if your perspective shifted in the midst of your consequences and you honestly began to believe I have purpose where I'm at. Maybe my decisions got me here. Maybe my decisions didn't. It doesn't matter at this point. I repent for my wrongdoing and I look to God, my creator, and say, God, what would you have me do? Can I tell you that your perspective can be shifted and what seemed like the attack of an enemy is now the audience of somebody who needs Jesus. You can let consequences destroy your praise or let your praise destroy your consequences. Let's stand to our feet all across the place today. Jesus, come, be Lord of my life. I want your wisdom. I want your, your, your teachings. I want your instruction to lead me and guide me that my life would have significance, that my life would matter. I want to know you be Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer right there, can I tell you something? Jesus says this. He says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Becoming a believer is not about jumping through a bunch of hoops and, and reciting a bunch of passages. It is about acknowledging that you need a Savior and turning your heart and your life to Him. And then we begin as believers to walk in faith and to mature, and to be the types of people that change this world. That's who we want to be. In the name of Jesus.